tonight. She just want the tip, no advice. On the side of the road, what's the risk? Roll the dice. If they catch us, I don't care, cause we all gonna die. Yeah, we all gonna die. I was worried, to be honest, but it's all going right. When I first laid eyes, I was awful enticed. And I might be off something, but I'm all in now. Welcome into another edition of the Big Red Elite Podcast. My name is Presley Meyer. I'll be your co-host today. Alongside me, I have Jacob Blaine to my left, and I have Alex Stingle. Welcome to football season, gentlemen. How are we doing tonight? Good evening, Prez. How are you? I am. I couldn't be more excited. Um, there's a little nip in the air. Um, a lot of rain. A lot of rain. <laughs> a lot of rain at the moment. Maybe the rain's bringing the cold. I don't know what's happening, but football season's in the air. As long as we're good on game night. I'm okay. 87 and sunny. Is oh, like my God. The, that's the high. And Don't so it's going to be about it. like Just 72, 75 Somebody knock on wood. Dude, that Papa John, or excuse me, that Cardinal Stadium beer and Chick-fil-A is just going to hit the spot. That beer, man. I'm telling you what, that's the best thing about that stadium. Dude, the, okay. The beer is, is so good. If you're What's listening, so good? Pre- okay. what, what is Ben's pretzels? I don't know. I saw that was the addition as well, but like. I've never gotten under a the pretzel radar? at a sporting Are they event. like a competitor of like anti? Is do you think they run in the family? Of like, is it Uncle Ben's? I don't. No, that's it's like the rice thing. I don't know. No, Anyways, I, we want to talk. We're here I to talk never about beer. Okay. I don't know. Are we in agreement here that there's something in the there Cardinal is, Stadium beer oh, that yeah. just makes you a just taste better? I don't know what it's, it is. It's the terrace draft. Like something no, about but in, any of the beer though. Like even in the lower level sweets, you know, I've been to them all, man. And they all taste like the nectar of the gods. Jacob, do you like the first thing he mentioned was the lower level sweets? Yeah. No, no, he's no, big no, time no. on us, man. I, I would be texting him at games last year like, no, I'm in a sweet, bro. I'm like a section, section 200 guy. All right, so here's I mean, what like, happens. Here's what happens. Decent, I don't have sweet tickets, all right? But sure you don't. when Uvel sucks, those are the seasons that you get the best seats, right? Because people are just giving them away. So I was just like, okay, I'll sit here. I'll sit there. So I didn't experience any cold last year, which was good because the play on the field was miserable enough. Wow. Um. Wow, that was set through rain. That was savage. You came in with set the cold. top, the just top <laughs> rope. The last year was terrible. Man, all right. Big news of the week: Scott Satterfield had his kind of preseason press conference. Finally, got some got a chance to hear some X's and O's. Hear him talk about what it's. We got to hear what it's like to kind of hear Scott Satterfield preview a game. He also said throughout the offseason he wasn't going to name the starting quarterback. However, big news of the week: he did name Juwan Pass. The starting quarterback. So, um, initial thoughts: Are you guys surprised at all? Um, wh- wh- what's our take on Juwan Pass starting? He didn't just announce it; like he like casually just slid it in, talking about something else. And he's mm-hmm. like, "Yeah, Juwan's gonna be the starter at quarterback." And then, you know, Jordan Davis is gonna be out for two games. I'm like, "Okay, all right, well, there yeah. it is." Like that, I, I kind of like knew it, but it was good to hear it out loud. And uh, not not a surprise, obviously, that he's a starter. But it's great to right. see the team get behind. Him. Well, I think that's the you could take it, you know, like one of two ways. Is the way I saw it because you got the first, he slid it in there casually, and maybe because Malik's hurt, he just assumed, you know, the media and everybody else, like we all assume that Poom is a starter, but he just kind of had to say it. The second, um, in my mind, is just maybe he didn't seem as excited, uh, but once he actually got into talking about him, he seemed way more excited about the possibility of Puma doing good. But I mean, at the time, he just kind of like glazed mm-hmm. over it and everyone was like oh okay like that's the official that's I think, the official word I think the thing is when you're dealing with a coach who's just very you know he's not putting a show on when he gets up there Scott, Scott Satterfield has been in an environment for so long where he's not used to having to come out and I, I'm sure at some point he's going to say something that rubs people the wrong way and then from there on there's always every every coach that's coming up from 
coming up in the ranks kind of has one of those moments where he it's not necessarily has has to be anything bad but maybe something a little too revealing or something that the media misconstrues or something of that nature uh, i think once that happens then maybe he might tone it down a little bit with with the honesty uh, is it weird that we're like we're like thrown we're like thrown off by honesty around here Absolutely. I mean, it's, we, it's a weird like breath of fresh air. I mean, like it's odd. Twenty years of pretty much Bobby Petrino and Rick Pitino, with some years in between, obviously. But I mean, we we've had a lot of a lot of seasons of just absolute BS being thrown our way, like just bold faced. I wouldn't say bold faced lies, but just like stretches uh, of the truth. Very yeah, just stretching the truth. Um, so to me, that's interesting. His his candor, but I I, I didn't take too much into the way that he he announced it at all um other big thing scale one to ten how big is is it that jordan davis is gonna be out the first two games um in case you haven't heard uh louisville's projected starting tight end jordan davis um was initially supposed to have a four game suspension uh, which apparently nobody knew about and it's been reduced to two games uh right. still a big deal because we were anticipating him being um the starter at tight end um scale one to ten how big of a deal it's Pretty big. Um, Put a number on it. I'd probably, for that specific thing, or just, I mean, I would probably say like a seven. This is all what she said, by the way. For so. for all <laughs> <laughs> Michael Scott. No, I would I would say it's pretty significant, honestly. Uh, just because you know, Ian Pfeiffer, we've heard we've heard great things about him at times. Um, I knew you were gonna be the first one to bring him up. Oh, for I just sure, knew dude. it, man. You have to be. The, se- I'm what, so the third player mentioned on the podcast is Ian Ian Pfeiffer. I'm expecting like seven hundred yards, fifty catches this year. I think it's we a, have legit talked about him every single show. Somehow, for me somehow. for me it's just because like as a lineman, I've always wanted to catch a pass, right? So yeah. the potential for this guy is just to it's just so weird he's like probably pumped, let's right. be honest. Oh yeah. I would be going from a lineman to a tight end, like you can still truck people, you can still block, you do what you're good at, but what if you have hands? What if he has hands in the game? I mean, he could be the next Jack Doyle. We don't know. I don't know. Everybody's the next Jack Doyle to you. (laughs) (laughs) I might have graduated from Western. Who knows? Wait, Jack Doyle, Western, and then... The Colts, Colts transplant. Yeah, so oh, he's, dude, oh, he's, right. sure. he's in your team highway. Just he's your, love yeah. He's like the Justin Thomas of your sport. Like, you know, like I grew up playing oh, golf. Sure. Justin Thomas, see him playing on the tour now. That's that's you. You're like, I went to college with Jack Doyle. Colts are my favorite team, Jack Doyle. Mr. Reliable, man. But uh, no, but really, like we've heard great things, um, you know, about Justin. So I'm, I'm pretty concerned. Uh, just because we've already talked about depth. Like, there was only one scholarship tied in when they got here. They moved some guys around. They got some grad transfers. So they have about, he says, eight or nine. But realistically, we're talking three or four. So, I mean, that's just one more guy we can't count on uh, for Notre Dame. But I, obviously, I, do, I don't think it's going to be as big of a deal uh, going up against EKU. But obviously, you know, we're talking, we're talking the big home opener. So, mm-hmm. so, yeah, I think it is concerning with... It just gives Juwan one less. Jacob, you know, rate it. Scale of 1 to 10. I, you know, I would say probably like a 6. Like, I mean, it's a big deal because I thought that in a game like this, he would be a you know a target for Juwan that he could kind of rely upon to get those short yardage throws that he struggled with at times last year. And also, you know, kind of surprise some people with a couple of plays down the field. I mean, like we saw that catch that they put out last week on social media, the one-handed, like back in the end zone. Like, a nice that, boy. That was nice. Yeah, they keep talking about how he's improved athletically, and mm-hmm. you can – so I mean I think that, that that's a big deal not having him there, but I, I you know I don't think it would have impacted the, a win or a loss had he been here. So I'm gonna say the two, to be totally honest with you, just because uh, number one, 
Jordan Davis has, I think, less than 10 catches in his career. Um, uh, again, he's obviously it's it's a depth concern. Obviously, Jordan Davis is looking good in the offseason, so we're told, or so the videos would lead us to believe. Right. However, um, I mean, we're we're at, we're at ground zero here. I mean, it, that sounded really dark, but we're we're at, you know we're we're at square one, um, reset mode. I don't. I think if any season, if you're going to have a starter go out a week before the season, or find out about a starter being out a week before the season, I think that this is the one. So I'm going to go. It's probably a two, um, especially because I think that the first game, Louisville doesn't have a super realistic chance of winning, and then the next two, they have a very realistic chance of winning. So there's nothing where it's like there's a toss-up game that he's going to miss. Right. Um, so to me, not a huge deal. Bigger deal to me is Juwan Pass solidified as the starter. Um, I think that's I think that's a huge deal going forward. Um, I think that if they were to go with uh with with Willie Cunningham or go with um, Evan Connolly, um, obviously I think that means that there's some something direly wrong with Juwan Pass. I think that he was a guy that's, that was going to get the opportunity. I think that's a much bigger deal than than Davis being out. Well, I think we all agreed um, that you know he got the start, but I mean. From camp and from everything else, you know, maybe there's some indications, uh, you know, that that they're watching him a little more closely than than a lot of people think. Like he's, yes, he's the justifiable starter right now, but like Presley just said, if he starts, you know, if we start seeing some of the things that uh, that really hindered his play last year, uh, although obviously we know the line and everything else was a factor, but still, if if we start to see it drop off, you know, how how many chances do you give this guy until you start looking at other people? Yeah, I mean, I, I see Notre Dame as just more of an opportunity for them to kind of throw guys out there and just, you know, figure it out. Like, you know, you're right. going to make mistakes. It's it's a, You're going to get to kind of measure up with how far you've improved and see how much more you have to go. So why not just let the, let him play that out, let him play the season out early on. Like, if you're going to name him the starter – right. You know with what what came last year, like you have to give him a longer leash. He can't just be pulled at the first, you know, sign of opposition from a leak just because right. you know he he didn't make the right play. And I, you know, I think that he's going to have at least a couple of weeks to not have to look over his shoulder. I don't think they're going to play a freshman unless the you know the the home opener is a blowout like so badly that you want to get another guy reps. But uh, I I think that for the next couple of weeks, it, it let that be for everybody. Obviously, let there be competition and practices, and you want to see players get in and play. But for a guy like Jawan and some of the guys on defense, put them in and let them just see where they're at. You know what I mean? And don't just pull them because they didn't make a play. And that's where we're going to see some difference with the new staff coming in. That is no longer going to be something I think we have to worry about. Right. And I also think uh, one one other aspect um, that I found interesting that Satterfield said in the presser was also how Jawan's been really utilizing his legs a lot more, mm-hmm. uh, especially in red zone situations. I think that bodes well. If he continues to do that and and really feel that out, because I, I think he was really trying to be the pocket passer that Petrino wanted him to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe, you know, he really does have a better running game than, than even some of the highlights we've seen so far. So if Satterfield's talking about he's pulling off these effective runs in really critical situations... Um, I think that's one aspect to his game I hadn't really given a lot of thought to up until that point. Yeah, I'm I'm really interested to see what our guests on the show today have to say about this, but I, I think that at the beginning of that game, you really have to focus on getting Jawan comfortable and confident and a lot of short throws. 
I, I think that you have to keep them on their toes. Obviously, I think you want to establish the run, and they're going to run the ball so much to start the game. Like, But I think with Jawan, when he does throw short passes, let him get a rhythm like we saw right. with Jaron Williams, Miami. I thought that what they did yeah, early on. Yeah, that's exactly on, what I was thinking. Because Florida's defensive line, you could tell from the first play, was going to be all over. The, you know, They were starting a freshman left, left tackle, I think like a redshirt freshman uh, right tackle. And Florida had this, you know, just bullied them up front. And I thought that Miami did a really good job of getting rid of the football. And I thought to myself as I watched this, like, this has got to be what they do with Juwan. And I think a lot of it is winning mentally for him. Like, just make a couple of short throws. See that you can do it. Let You know, hopefully a big gain comes out of one of them. You know, if you throw a screen to Dez or to Tutu, hopefully they can break it off for like 12 yards or whatever. You know what I mean? Just to get some confidence and get going. Because the big thing was he mentioned, he kept talking about, percentage in terms of accuracy he didn't care about the yards he was talking about he needs to be accurate and make good decisions yeah you know he's not pressuring him we need touchdowns out of you we need at least 200 yards passing it's it's not like a big metric he's just talking about any pass we do give you Mm -hmm. you need to nail and even mentioned that with the long ball talking about uh overthrowing guys he's like we overthrowing we might as well hand off the ball uh, as a run play, because he's like, you're just giving it up. That's a missed opportunity. And yeah. I really like that mental thought he has about that. And that, I hope, well, I'm sure he's trying to instill that into pass as well. Mm-hmm. Like a missed pass, we might as well hand the ball off. Right. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, I, I think for me, this is this is kind of random, but the thing that I can't get my mind up, get my mind off of if, is not only with Jawan winning early, but winning with your defense too. One of the biggest, like, factors that I don't think anybody's talking about is what a pumped up Cardinal Stadium can do to a game. We've seen it so many times in the past and if but you not get like this though. This is going this might be the first time we see 60,000. Yeah, but like I'm saying this the the atmosphere in the stadium is going to be off the charts. Right. Like that's what I'm saying. And so if you can get the crowd involved whether that's, you know, a third dude, a third down stop on the first drive of the game, are you kidding me? When was the last time we saw that? Like can you imagine how loud that place will get? Like the fans will spot. be like, "Oh crap!" Like, hold on, this game is a little bit, you know, different than what I thought. Right. Absolutely. Well, and that's the thing because we haven't seen it full yet. I mean, that's the, th- and that's what I'm excited about because we've all been to the big games. Uh, that's what I'm you know, saying. FSU, exactly. yeah, like West Virginia, like we've been to those massive games and it's been so loud at times. But adding a whole nother section that really encloses the the stadium, and we haven't seen the Adidas sign, you know fully fully filled up yet so i'm i'm super excited and interested to uh to hear the noise yeah and i I, that's what i'm saying i think that early on in the game like i mean i know it's much easier said than done but you want to get a stop you want to make a turnover you want to do something big and get your crowd i mean like you talk about waking a sleeping giant man yeah if they get a third down stop the first the first you know defensive drive of the game or if they get a turnover or if they score on a quick offensive drive that place is going to go from like what the end of last year felt maybe a little bit more optimistic and to like rewind a couple of years and like the fan base for at least a game, at least for a quarter will be what we've been used to in football right. years past. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, I'm definitely excited to hear the new music choices. Uh, yeah, it's going to be like a completely different you know, game like that, environment. I'm like, hoping think it's about Lizzo. It. I just hope it's Lizzo nonstop. Yeah. Third down Lizzo. <laughs> Why defense gotta be great till it's gotta be great? <laughs> oh. There you go. It's a Lizzo remix for you. I don't even know what to do with that. We're gonna cut that I'm out. I'm embarrassed by that. No, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta leave that in. You here. put that out there as a choice. Yeah, so. you that lives in the world now. That that just, you're doing that. that, that that's a thing. Just came to my mind. I've been 
working on like trying to clip out images and put sound over it as a way to kind of like share bits and pieces of our show online. And I think that you oh, just man. made the next one. Like just no context. Just why does this gotta be great? <laughs> like nothing gets me more pumped for game week than hearing you guys try to uh, sing your renditions. <laughs> like that that excites Jacob. Me. That, take it away, O Fortuna. Go. You know what that is? No, I've the no song that they is. used to play. Is that the Oh, I love that. The, before the dude, intro. They got me, oh, they got as a kid. Oh, dude. That used to be the intro. No. I mean, <laughs> growing up. <laughs> what, is that not you sound like D'Angelo Vickers trying to get pumped up for uh, <laughs> for for for, uh, for the Dundies. Yeah. Get them to the Dundies. Get them to yeah. the Dundies. Right, this, is just, this train is derailed. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk to two guests, and I'm really excited about this because we're going to really, for the first time as a show, get into a football game. We're going to talk with Brian Driscoll of Blue and Gold for the Rivals Network who covers Notre Dame. We're going to talk to a friend of the show, Keith Wynn, and we're going to get both sides of the story here of what we can kind of expect on Monday. She got a car in now. I don't think that you should work tomorrow. She said, first of all, I'm still going in like rich homie Quine, but with you and me, God, man, it feels so intense. I already seen that movie, but I will go again with you. I got a few I've been tending to, but tonight I forgot all about them. All right, well, the time has finally come. Notre Dame just six days away. We've been talking about this game for what feels like eternity. Uh, and we welcome in our next guest, Brian Driscoll, who covers Notre Dame for the Blue and Gold on the Rivals Network. Brian, how are you doing, man? I, I, you said you are about um, to give a speech. Yeah, so people want to know. They're going to ask me the same questions you guys are. They want to know how Notre Dame's going to look this year, and they want to know about this matchup in Louisville. So I think people are excited and ready for the season to kick off. And I know, like you guys said, I'm – I'm tired of talking about the team. I want to see what they're all about now. Yeah, so let's start there. Let's talk about this matchup a little bit, high level, just Louisville and Notre Dame. The last ten, time these two teams met was back in 2014. Louisville was able to pull out a victory, but both teams have, are completely different than they were then. I, if I remember correctly at that time, Notre Dame was not ranked. Now you're talking about a team who you know, could be potentially back in the college football playoff for the second time in a row. While Louisville had a Heisman winner just three years ago and has really kind of fallen off you know, the, the, the path that they were on, what do you think the biggest change is, or what's the, the the biggest thing that's happened within the program for Notre Dame to go from where they were, you know, five years ago to where they are now? You know, what's interesting is they really hit their valley two years after that season. You know, Notre Dame was ranked in the top ten earlier in that 2014 season, and then finished with a, losing their final four games, bounced back a little bit that next year, went ten and three against a relatively soft schedule, and then in 2016 they went four and eight. So as Louisville was peaking as a program. Notre Dame was bottoming out, and you know Brian Kelly had a choice. I can either you know make a couple tweaks here and there, or I can admit that my program is not where it needs to be and overhaul things. And he over overhauled the entire program. He hired a new strength coach, new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator, new special teams coordinator. They changed it. They changed how they recruit. They changed how he interacts with players. They changed how they practice, and really just overhauled the entire program. And you know, at the time, I said this is either going to be Brian, the end of the Brian Kelly tenure, or it's going to be the best thing that ever happened to him. And so far it was the best thing that ever happened to them because they're finally getting the most out of their talent. It's never been a talent problem at Notre Dame. It really hasn't. It's been a developing that talent and winning the games they're supposed to win. That's what's kept Notre Dame from being an upper echelon team, and they're starting to get back to that point. Brian, you talked about um, you know getting back to your winning ways. A lot of that has had to do with you know some very consistent play on the offensive side of the ball. Notre Dame loses Brandon Winbush this year, but Ian Book takes over as a starting quarterback. 
Um, we know a lot about Book. We know that he's going to be a guy that's that's going to be a front runner um, as a Heisman candidate. Um, but who else returns, and what makes Notre Dame just so so dangerous this year? Well, I think two things really. Number one is they've got four starters coming back from an offensive line that was really inconsistent last year, and this has been the pattern at Notre Dame really for the last six or seven years. In 2014, they had a very talented but inconsistent offensive line. Some weeks they looked great, some weeks they didn't. And then the next year, four starters come back, and they're one of the three or four best offensive lines in the country. They had three first-round draft picks and a second-round draft pick on that 2015 offensive line. 2016, new starters, younger group, showed flashes, inconsistent, not quite to the level you expect. The next year, they returned four starters, and they literally had the best offensive line in the country, winning the Joe Moore Award. Last year, similar situation. You lose two top ten draft picks along the offensive line. They showed flashes. You know, they ran for over 300 yards against Florida State. They had the first 200-yard rusher against Florida State since 1985. But then the next week, they don't play as well. So that was kind of their story all year. Now four starters come back, and the expectation is, is that they're once again going to have one of the best offensive lines in the country. So that's really where it starts for Notre Dame. But I think the other thing is, Ian Book is a quarterback. He's not a big playmaker like Brandon Wimbush was. But what he is, he's like an old-school point guard. You know, back when point guards, you know, didn't score a lot, but they were distributors. You know, they get 10, 11, 12 assists a game. Uh, that's how he is, and I think the thing that is going to help him this year is he's got more weapons. You know, last year they had nothing but big, kind of big, tall, physical receivers. Now he's got that. He's got some more speed. He's got some running backs that can catch the ball. So a lot more just versatility is what I think is going to help him this year on offense. You talked about some of the playmakers that Notre Dame has been used to having. I know that you, that Notre Dame lost Dexter Williams and Miles Boykin from a year ago, but it seems like year after year Notre Dame pumps out that next guy. I mean, you, you go back all the way you know, to CJ Procise and Will Fuller and some of these other dynamic receivers and running backs who have, you know sat behind somebody else, and then when they got the turn, they stepped up. Who is that guy this year for Notre Dame that's going to emerge as the, the you know the big playmaker for the offense? So I think the first guy is Chase Claypool. You know, he's a guy that's cancelized Notre Dame fans with talent since the day he arrived. I mean, he's six four, over two hundred pounds, fast, can jump. Yeah, he, he scored over forty points a game in basketball as a high school senior in Canada. I mean, just a really freaky athletic guy, but he could just never put it together. You know, he had a game against Wake Forest two years ago where he had nine catches for over 180 yards, and then the next week he just disappears, you know, and he was just always kind of that erratic player. We started to see him in the second half of last season, so in the final six games of the year, he had one more catch than Miles Boykin had and only had, like, I think seven or eight less yards. So you really started to see him emerge as a, as a playmaker, and then this offseason he's just, he's just taken over. I mean, he's, he's been dominant. His ball skills are good. He's making plays down the field. He's making plays over the middle. So I think he's pulling to be a, a big-time player. And then the other guy to keep an eye on is a running back named Jafar Armstrong. You know, he's a guy that has explosiveness like Dexter Williams, but he's a very unique player. He came to Notre Dame as a wide receiver. And because of some recruiting struggles at the position and then Dexter Williams being suspended, and at first they thought he might be out for the year last year, they moved him to running back, and he really excelled. And he started against Michigan. And, and actually what's interesting is everybody talks about losing Dexter Williams. But Dexter didn't play the first four games of the year. And they averaged only about one fewer yard of total offense per game when Dexter was out as they had when Dexter played, and they actually averaged more yards per touch, which includes rushes and carries. So they've got guys that have had to play that role. Now that Jafar is in year two of being a running back, I think we're really going to see his game take off, not just as a runner, but also as a pass catcher and a guy that's capable of catching you know, 30, 40, 50 passes this year out of the backfield. 
Well, the guy who's going to be throwing it to him is Ian Book, which we've touched on a little bit already. But like Presley alluded to, this is a guy who's being talked about as a potential Heisman candidate this season. Um, you know, bringing back, a, you know, like you said, a, a very talented offense and, and a lot of experience. What can we expect to see from him on Monday night? Where are we going to see some improvement from his game last year? Uh, you know, what what are what are fans from Louisville kind of needing to be aware of with this guy? Well, I think the first thing about Ian is he's a really good distributor of the football. And I talked a little bit about that earlier, but he's not a guy that says, hey, I got to get, you know, my guy the ball. You know, there were games where he hardly threw to Miles Boykin and other games where he threw to Miles Boykin a bunch of times. And it was all about what is the defense giving us? What are they doing? What are Where are areas I can exploit them? And he's always been a really good distributor. And they would always have like nine, ten guys get targets in games last year. It was, it was really something we had never seen before at Notre Dame, which had always been a team that kind of dominated. Like three or four guys got the majority of the targets and the catches. So I think that's the thing we'll see. He's a guy that gets rid of the ball quickly. He's accurate. He's a better athlete than people realize. And he put the Northwestern game away with his legs. He made a big third and ten run against USC. Uh, that sparked the offense to that comeback victory. So he's a really solid distributor of the football. If Notre Dame's going to take that next level of the program, and if Ian Book is going to be sort of that big-time quarterback, which you know I don't know if I'd put him on that level. I mean, you're going to be there because you're the quarterback of Notre Dame, but he's not to me on that level. If he wants to get to that level, he's got to start making more plays with his arm, and that means hitting more downfield throws, hitting some of those tougher over-the-middle throws that require you to not just take what the defense gives you, but say, hey, you've got to go make a play in this situation. If he can do that, this offense is going to be very, very hard to defend. If he can't, they're going to be good, but they're not going to be to the elite level they need to be to make another playoff run. And we're talking about getting so that, and that's Notre Dame's goal. I, I think that it's safe to say that a, a college football game or a college football playoff um, finish is, is kind of what the, what the end goal is this season. I think that's absolutely realistic for Notre Dame. Um, when we talk about, you know, we talked about a lot of the positives with Notre Dame. Uh, where do fans kind of have reservations? I know you spoke a little bit about that, but what, where, if Notre Dame's season is uh, doesn't live up to the hype, um, where do you think that comes from? I think there's two areas. Number one is what we just talked about. I think the offense has been good. But look, here's the reality of the elite teams in college football. You, you look right, right. We can all agree that Clemson and Alabama are the, are the creme de la creme of college football, correct? And yes. the thing about them is both, they both play outstanding defense. But they both understand to win a title, you're not going to win a title 17 to 14 anymore. This isn't going to be like the LSU, you know, Alabama game in 2011. This isn't going to be like Oregon and Auburn was in 2010, right? You've got to score points. And if you look at since the playoff game started, the, win, the, the winning team in every year except one has scored at least 35 points. The only exception was the year with two SEC teams playing because – you know, the SEC football is just a little different deal when they play against each other. So they understand to win a title, yes, you have to play great defense. Great defense will get you to the dance. Notre Dame had a great defense last year. But to get to that next level and win, you've got to be able to score. Clemson could score. They could make those big plays, and Notre Dame couldn't. So if Notre Dame wants to get to that level, they've got to get better on offense. And on paper, they should be better. But, guys, games aren't won on paper. They've got to go out and prove it. So if they can't make those strides on offense, then they're not going to, they're going to be good. They're going to be a 10 win team, but they're not going to be a team that you look at and say, Hey, I think they're good enough to beat Bama. I think they're good enough to beat Clemson. And they haven't proven that they can be that, that program yet. And then the other situation is they lost two linebackers combined for over 600 tackles in their career. Uh, Drew Tranquil is a fourth round draft pick of, of the San Diego Chargers. Tavon Coney had over 20 tackles for loss the last two years. So they've got to replace those two guys. And there's a lot of question marks at that position. And as you know, 
The one place you don't want to be soft on defense is up the middle. So they lost those two linebackers, plus they lost an All-American defensive tackle on Jerry Tillery. So there's a lot for that, that, that inside group to prove this year. You talked about a game not being one on paper. On paper, Louisville looks like they have no chance at even competing in this game, you know, from what we saw last season with them going 2-10 and 10 and, and some of the improvements, even with that being said, with the improvements this summer under Scott Satterfield. But we now know that Jawan Pass is going to lead this team out as a quarterback on Monday night. We know that this team is, you know, ready to get back out there and prove people wrong from what, you know, what they saw last year. If if Jawan Pass is going to have a big game and if he's going to take advantage of the weapons that he has, how does he attack? In your mind, how does he attack Notre Dame's defense? Where are they weak and where can he kind of win? Um, similar to what we saw with uh, Miami's quarterback in the, the short game the other night, you know, is that is that something that's possible? He's going to have to come out early and distribute the ball and give her the ball quickly. And the, the biggest thing for Louisville is they're going to have to figure out a way to protect him. And that's going to be a challenge. Notre Dame had the nation's fourth best pass rush last year, and every single defensive end that took a single snap last season is back. Uh, Julian Aguara was, I think, seventh in the country last year in quarterback hurries. Khalid Kareem is back after having uh, a big seed. Look, Notre Dame's the only team in the country that returns three players from, according to Pro Football Focus, returns three players that finish in the top 30 in pass rush accessory. And Louisville's offensive line, as you guys know, gave up a lot of sacks and pressure. Yeah, a lot That's of sacks. That's going to be the biggest thing. If they can protect him, yeah, and if they can protect him, then I think this is a team that's got a chance to score some points. And I'm actually predicting Louisville to score 20 against Notre Dame because I do think they're going to be able to make some big plays. And the thing that I've tried to tell Notre Dame fans, the things that I've said on, on the radio when people ask, is this is not a 2-10 football team from a talent standpoint. This is a 2-10 football team because they had a culture problem because they had a they didn't have a belief in the people leading them at the top and so it just kind of it just kind of went down south like it did for Notre Dame in 2016. Notre Dame didn't all of a sudden have an influx of talent when they went from 4 and 8 to 10 and 3. They just had a better culture. They made changes from a coaching standpoint that was able to maximize that talent. And as I've said to you know to people before, I would not want to play Louisville in October. I'm glad Notre Dame is getting them on the first game of the year because I believe that once Coach Satterfield starts being able to utilize the talent that they do have, I mean, there's some guys at Louisville, Rush East, for example. Notre Dame's new staff tried to get him hard. They pushed hard to try to get him right before signing day, and he ended up going to Louisville, and now he's going to start you know, safety for him. So um, I think this team has a chance to be effective, but they've got to be able to protect Juwan Pass. If they can protect him and give him some time to throw, I think there's some matchups in the slot. There's some matchups with the running backs, with Hassan Hall against the linebackers. And there's some chances to play to hit shots deep against their safeties because Notre Dame's safeties like to be real aggressive. So if you can protect the quarterback and take some vertical shots with, you know, Des Fitzpatrick and Tutu Atwell and guys like that, you've got a chance to rip off some big plays. And that's what Louisville's going to have to do. They're not going to be able to methodically move the ball up and down the field for 60 minutes against Notre Dame defense. They're just not. What they're going to have to do is have a couple drives like that, but then hit some big plays. And if they can hit some big plays, then they're going to have a shot to keep, make this a close game. I don't know if they're going to be able to make enough. Uh, to do that because I don't know if they have a defense that can make enough stops to, to keep it to keep it competitive. Back in 2014, a lot of Louisville fans made the trip up to South Bend to to watch the game um, and ultimately got to witness one of the most I don't want to say one of the greatest wins, but it one of the one of the most unique wins in program history. Being able to win in, a, in an environment like that. What can we expect for this time around with Notre Dame fans? Are, are those, you know, the, I know that Notre Dame fans are very faithful in following and watching their team. What kind of turnout are we expecting in Louisville? And, and what should we as Louisville fans, I don't know about you guys, I've, I didn't get to go to that game. I've not been around Notre Dame fans a lot. 
what should we expect from the fan base? Well, I think they're going to travel well. Notre Dame always travels well. Part of the reason is, is they have Notre Dame fans all over the country. You know, I'll go out to California. I'll go down to Texas. I go to Florida, New York City. Those are places I've been in the last two, three seasons for Notre Dame games. And everywhere I go, there's Notre Dame fans from there. And so that's one of the unique things about the Notre Dame program is no matter where you go, you're going to find Notre Dame fans. So I think that's going to allow them to have a, a big support. They travel well. Uh, and the other thing about it is, you know, Notre Dame fans kind of have this, this stigma of kind of uppity and they, they think their program is all that and all those kind of things. And, and I get that, and Notre Dame fans do. But, you know, what fan base doesn't think their program is the best? Otherwise, they wouldn't be fans of that program. But what everyone that comes to Notre Dame is shocked by just how fun Notre Dame fans are. You know, they're not the in-your-face, trash-talking, cursing at you, saying inappropriate things fan base. They're a really fun fan base. To them, it's a sport. And so I think that, uh, you know, Georgia fans said that constantly when they came a couple of years ago. They were surprised how Notre Dame fans were, how welcoming they were. You'll see tailgates with Notre Dame fans and, you know, the opposing team together. So it's, it's a really unique fan base. It's why I really like covering the team because you get a lot of people that are passionate. They have strong opinions. But at the end of the day, you know, they love talking football. They love going to games and they love their football team. Can let me ask you this? This is not Louisville related, but can in your mind do you see a scenario where Notre Dame goes through this schedule one night right now that features uh, two top ten teams in Georgia and Michigan, and then another you know highly uh, anticipated game with Stanford and and then maybe USC in there? Do you see Notre Dame going undefeated this year? I don't. I mean, look, let's look, guys. Notre Dame has not had back to back undefeated seasons since Newt Rockney was the head coach. True story where they just didn't tie or lose the game, okay? So I don't expect them to go undefeated. But I think that, you know, I think they have absolutely have a shot to go 11-1. and one. The, the key is going to be September 21st. If they go on the road and beat Georgia and win that game, then, then they'll have a shot. But that's, that's going to be a tough act. You know, what I think for Notre Dame, a more realistic season is go down to Athens and give them everything you got for 60 minutes, make it, make it a competitive game, show the country that you're as good as anybody in the country, even though maybe you lost that game, and then just go out and steamroll everybody else you play. That's going to give them a chance to make the playoffs because Notre Dame's been in the top four twice now when they've had a loss and they just couldn't finish. So I think 11 and 1 gets Notre Dame in the playoffs unless it's a, a unique, strange year like last year where you had three undefeated teams. That really ha- that's only happened once. And the, since 2014, they've only had one year where there was more than one undefeated team in the playoffs. And in 2017, there were none. Nobody was undefeated. So 11-1 Notre Dame team against the schedule you talked about, at Michigan, at Stanford, home against USC, home against Virginia Tech. I think that if they can go 11-1 and and at least be competitive against Georgia, that's the kind of success that they can have that gets them in the, in the, in the playoff conversation and at the very least gets them in a New Year's Six Bowl that they have a chance to win because that's, what that's what's left for Notre Dame, right? They've been in the playoffs. They played for the title in 2012. They've had some big wins. They've had some very close losses. If they want to be considered an elite program – they either have to go to the playoffs and win a game, or they have to get to a New York Six Bowl against the big-time program and win. They've beaten LSU twice, but neither of them were the big bowls, you know, Sugar Bowl, Orange Bowl, Cotton Bowl. They've got to win in those games. They have not won a New York, New York Six Bowl, one of the major bowls, since January 1st of 1994, wow. which is astounding when you think about the success Notre Dame has had. So they've got to have one of those games. And if they can do that, then I think that's Notre Dame taking that next step. If they can't, then it'll say, hey, they're closer, but they're not there yet. Wow. All right, Brian. Well, this has been extremely insightful. We know you have to get out of here. We're going to leave you on this. Um, just, you know, gun your head. What do you think about the outcome of the Louisville Notre Dame game? Uh, if you can put a number on it, um, what, what kind of, what, what is your prediction for the outcome of, of UofL Notre Dame? 
I originally had it at 47 to 20 uh, when I made my summer prediction, but I've actually taken about 10 points off of that for Notre Dame. I have it at 37-20. They've lost their starting tight end. He'll be out the first couple games. They've lost one of their starting receivers who's going to be out the first couple games. So it may take Notre Dame a couple quarters to really get going, and then they pull away late. But, again, if, if Louisville can create some big plays, especially some big plays early, and find a way to protect you on pass, I think they can stay in this game for a while. But I think Notre Dame is too deep too long, too athletic for Louisville to hang for 60 minutes, and I think Notre Dame is going to pull away in the second half and and win by double digits. Brian, man, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Good luck with your speech. Uh, if it goes bad, just don't blame us, all right? <laughs> Sounds good, guys. All I right. use up all my good words with you guys. <laughs> Thanks a lot for having me. All right, I appreciate it, Brian. Thanks, man, and uh, good luck to, to you this season. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks, Take buddy. Care. All right, we're going to continue to talk a little bit of Louisville-Notre Dame. We're going to bring in friend of the show, Keith Wynn. Keith, how are you doing, man? Doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, of course, man. The football season is finally here. How great was it on Saturday night to be able to watch, like, really good competitive football? Well, I don't know if you want to call it really good, but competitive football. I was going to say it was close. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it was a close game, so there was that. But, you know, any football is good enough for me. I mean, I, 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 watch, I watch anything. I mean, it's just... The time of the year is always fun, and, you know, it's fun watching good players, even if it's not a fun game or it's kind of sloppy. You know, you get those moments of, like, big-time plays and things like that. It's always fun. Yeah, I saw you breaking down on Twitter, like, the Samford-Youngstown State game, and I'm like, I, I'm i hungry for football, but not that hungry. Like, <laughs> that is – I'm like, okay. I mean, I respect the hustle. Don't get me wrong. But what was your biggest takeaway from Samford-Youngstown State? Stanford ways to willing to play their best quarterback. I mean, they have uh, the guy that came in the second half. He played at South Florida last year, so I, I, I saw him play a couple games. If he came in, and you know, I watched South Florida. I still root for Charlie Strong, so I was I was watching them last year. And he transferred there, and for whatever reason, they didn't start that kid. And then he comes in in the fourth quarter and immediately scores two touchdowns. I mean, that's just a yeah, you know, sometimes you want to reward the kids that have been there for a while, and I think that's what they did with their starting quarterback. And then they benched him, and it's like, oh wow, we could have run this, we could have won the game, and they just blew that. So, well, let's let's talk a little bit about Louisville, Notre Dame. We've heard from uh, Scott Satterfield yesterday for the first time in that you know preview press conference type of of uh, situation. I, I thought it was pretty interesting to hear him really start diving into X's and O's, which is what I've been waiting for. But the biggest thing to take away, I think, is not having Jordan Davis for Notre Dame suspended for two games for academic reasons. What do you think in terms of impact that that's going to have on Louisville for the first two games? You know, it's hard because I think that having him as a receiving option would have been really big. Um, they use their tight ends in, a, in some kind of interesting ways where they end up with a lot of open space because they're kind of an after assault in the offense. Uh, but they scheme it really well to do some play action stuff where they can get those guys out in the in, outside the hashes and, and can pick up some good 10, 15 yard gains. Um, you know, down at half state, both their tight ends last year uh, were all sunbelt. So they use those guys. They don't really throw in the ball a whole lot. But when they do, it's schemed that way, which Jordan Davis as a pass catcher is a, is a really good option. Uh, Ian Pfeiffer, who's going to be taking on that role, we don't know anything about that guy as a, as a pass catcher. He played offensive guard at Vanderbilt, slimmed down. Um, I think as a blocker, he's going to really be able to do what they need him to do, which is really important. So I don't think it's, this mass, it's a massive loss. But as a pass catcher, 
we don't really know what Fiverr is going to be able to bring. So, um, but at, but at, they they have some things they can do because they have that H back where they don't need a tight end on in the line. Um, we can maybe see more of that, which you know they can still they they can really run everything they do from a run offense out of seven, eight, nine different formations, and it's the same run play. So it's really I don't think it'll really affect that much. I think they can do whatever they want. Um, but but I really do think as a pass catcher, I mean, Jordan Davis is going to have a really good year, um, and I think that's going to be a big loss for Notre Dame. Really shouldn't matter next week, uh, but for the Notre Dame game, I think it's, it's, a, it's a pretty substantial loss in the passing game. Scott Satterfield has sounded like he's fairly confident in the starting offensive line that he has. I know depth-wise, you know, there's some concerns there about how they go too deep, but one thing we don't know right now is who starts and what the depth chart looks like. But if you're if you're Dwayne Leffer, who are your five guys? Where are you going for Notre Dame? Um, you know, I, I think you get you know you obviously affect him on the left side there. I think Caleb Caleb Chandler is a perfect uh, complement to Beckton. I think both those guys are really good from a standpoint of how well they move, uh, and I think they can really team up to be a kind of a, a really good combination for the run game and they can be a left-handed offense where hey we know we can run on the left side um i think tj mccoy is the best option at center i think he's got the experience uh he's a veteran player he he's a natural center you know which louisville really doesn't necessarily have right now um and i think he's going to be able to handle not just the calls but being able to get the snap off and being able to get to his blocks very quickly that's something that we haven't seen since Jake Smith, I think, back in 2013. Uh, it's just a really big lag there over the years. I think he can really step that up. And on the right side of the line, you know, Tyler Haycraft is going to be the right tackle. Uh, they, they named him the captain today. I'm really interested to see how he plays because uh, the staff is all about him. I mean, they, they've talked him up and the leadership, the, the effort. I think that's great. And at right guard, you know, I think it's a toss-up. Uh, I, I think Robbie Bell, um, I like him. I think that maybe he's better at guard than he was at center. Uh, but Cole Bitley is a, you know, he's a, he's a talented kid. Um, you know, I think he's better off the center spot. I think he can move pretty well. Uh, and I think they'll be fine either way. But I, I think Robbie Bell is probably personally who I would like to see out there. So who, in that, in that scenario then, um, who do we have as the odd man out? And do you think that that's how we end up um, in, in the first game, I, I, I mean, I know we asked, you know, what what would you do? But in um, in in this situation, do you think that that's actually what the coaching staff ends up putting out there on the field? Yeah, I mean, I think McCoy is going to be the center. Uh, you know, Satterfield, he's the only player that he singled out early in camp. I mean, it was the first after either the first or second practice when they were still split right. up uh, in the two separate practices. He, he came out and said we need more from the center position. He said that he, he was going to start getting T.J. McCoy out there with the, with the ones. Um, I mean, that was early. And I think he I think that's a immediate realization that, hey, we've got to figure out who's the best guy here. And I, I personally think that they're higher on McCoy. I think that that's part of the reason why they, that they reached out to him so quickly to get in here and see if they can get him up to speed in the spring and things like that to be able to, to take over that center spot. Um, the the guard position I think is the one that's up in the air. I think it's going to be between Bell and and Bentley. Um, and I don't I don't think anybody knows. I don't think the staff really knows who's going to be the guy there yet. Um, but I I I think that that's the one that that I think the center spot from everything I'm kind of gathering from 
watching interviews, reading interviews, reaching out to people, it seems like McCoy is probably going to be the option there because partially because Bentley has more versatility. He can play center or guard. And as a backup, they only have about seven guys. And they're going to need Cole Bentley and Adonis Boone to be able to play the other five spots. You know, Bentley can play guard and center. Boone can play guard and tackle. They're going to have to play those guys as swing guys because they don't really, other than that, you just have freshmen. So I think that gives them more versatility, and I think that might be part of the issue, part of the decision-making process. So we, we got an opportunity to see a lot of football over the weekend, well, a little bit of football at least. Um, it seems like Miami did a really good job. They had a, established a game plan um, to start off the game, just getting the ball out of Jaron Williams' hands quickly. Um, it seems like that's something that that Louisville's going to try to to um, replicate against Notre Dame, um, especially starting off, you know, just getting Juwan Pass comfortable and confident. Um, we spoke with Brian Driscoll of the Notre Dame rival sites. He thinks that Louisville's going to have to win, win big in in the in the long game. You know, Louisville's going to have to hit some some chunk plays. They're not going to be able to just dink and dunk and you know create consistent drives. Um, if you're if you're Scott Satterfield, what, what what is your game plan to attack Notre Dame offensively? Uh, run the football a lot. I mean, they're going to have to establish it early. Um, everything the offense does is based off of their running game. Uh, they on first downs last year they ran the ball seventy two percent of the time. On first downs they also averaged five yards per carry. I mean, everyone knows they're going to run the ball. They don't care. They're going to run it. And they're gonna you're gonna have to stop it for them to actually adjust and change. And it's, it's, it's that's the way that they go about doing things. That's why the offensive line is so important because they've got to be able to open up holes for these guys. Um, and Hassan Hall, I wrote a post yesterday about the top of the six most important players, and one was T.J. McCoy, and, and and another on that list was Hassan Hall. If they can get things going in the run game, and that is where those chunk plays have to come in, they've got to get some. 12 to 15 yard gains here and there um, because what that does is that opens up the passing game and that makes everything easier on Juwan Pass. And if you can make it easy on Pass, he's got the receivers. It, uh, that's not even a question this year to me. I, I think that Des Fitzpatrick, obviously, we, we know what he, can do, what he can do. We know that Seth Dawkins is reliable. We know that he can run different routes and he can be a, a, a deep threat as well as like a guy that can catch those slants and those stop routes. And you have Tutu Atwell, who is just the, the wild card. So he's got the options. He's just got to have the time, the ability to get the ball down the field. And to be able to do that, you've got to run the football. And and we know this as a little fans. We watched over the last couple of years, they just refused to hand the ball off. And those big passing plays were never there. It was it was more they would hit a couple of years. But most of them were, hey, Lamar Jackson is going to do Lamar Jackson stuff. But if they can run the ball well, which I think they're going to try to establish early, it opens up the entire playbook. And I think that's how they have a chance is by creating the big plays, not necessarily trying to, you know, these 10, 15, 20 play drives, but force the defense to react to the offense and take advantage of that. Right. And I think it was exciting even during Satterfield's presser that he mentioned, you know, Tutu reminds him of, of T.Y. Hilton. And I think I said on Twitter, I was like, if anybody's going to make that comparison, I'd I'd like to have it as the guy who's actually coached both the, so I thought that was super high praise. I know I think I saw you mention that on Twitter as well. Um, but Notre Dame is is bringing Notre Dame is uh 
you know, breaking in a lot of new guys coming in to this game, especially on the offensive side. I know uh, like a new starting running back and they're going to have a lot of new receivers and even a uh, probably a, a newer tight end just due to injuries. Um, so if you're Brian Brown, how do you take advantage of, of some of these uh, newer Notre Dame players that might not have a lot of experience? So I think the the big thing is that, you know, probably mid midsummer I was like, yeah, Brian Brown likes to be aggressive, but going against Notre Dame, they've got these these talented receivers. They've got Ian Book is is a key, and I was like, they're they've got a lot of weapons. And then as I start watching more and more games, I was like, well, they really just have one proven guy at the skill position spots, and that's Chase Claypool outside, big six foot four, two hundred thirty pound receiver supposedly runs a four four five somewhere in that range so he's a freak athlete but he doesn't have anyone else to take that attention away so i think brian brown is going to be more aggressive i i, I truly think he's going to try to come after ian book get into that gunslinger mentality that ian book kind of has a little bit where he might make a mistake here or there he might try to force a ball he might throw something throw it up and 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 you might be able to make a play on the ball um i think he's going to bring a lot of pressure on him because what you know it's kind of a what do you have to lose kind of situation i mean if you're gonna if you're gonna go out you're gonna go out fighting and i think that's his mindset you're not going to be able to sit back and let notre dame control the clock because if that happens you're not you're not allowing scott satterfield's offense to make plays either so and then you're also putting yourself in a position if you get down then 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 satterfield's got to throw the ball more you're putting juan pass in the same situation he was in last year right nobody nothing positive comes out of that so I think they're going to take advantage of the fact that Ian Book is going to probably lend himself to passing more towards Claypool's side. His other two starting receivers, the slot guy and the, and the outside receiver, aren't very proven guys. Uh, Chris, I'm going to say his name is Flink, but I might be completely wrong on that. He's going to be moving from the slot to the outside spot to, to take on for uh, uh, their guy that's injured that broke his collarbone. He's not an outside receiver by trade. He's only 5'10". He's not really a deep threat. So you can be aggressive with that guy. You know he's not gonna. They're not gonna be throwing nine routes. This guy. They're not gonna be running post routes. He's gonna be running underneath stuff, stop routes, slant routes. You have guys that you can be aggressive on him. And now you're taking away half the field. So there's some positives that he has because of these injuries. No tight. Uh, their tight end is gonna be a Brock Wright, a highly recruited kid, has only caught two career passes. You know it, it, they don't have the weapons like they had last year with Miles Boykin on one side and Claypool on the other. Alizé Mack at the tight end spot. I mean, you've got four-star, four-star NFL guys all over the place. They don't have that. So they're going to be able to take advantage of that, hopefully maybe contain the running game as best they can. Uh, their offensive line didn't didn't run block very well last year. They had Dexter Williams breaking off these huge runs all year for the for the time that he played. Um, so, so it really comes down to how do you affect Ian Book, and that's the hard part because Ian Book is one of the best quarterbacks in the country. He's 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 the prototype college guy extends plays can he's slippery he gets out of the pocket really well he does those things if they if that's if you lose with that stuff there, there's not really much you can do if you control what you can control and i think they can do that taking away the other two receivers and just be able to focus on claypool they've got some things to work with from a scheme standpoint I, I think that it, overall this fan base isn't one that's down with moral victories and uh, i think that we can all get on the, the same train that an upset on Monday night is pretty unlikely. It could happen, but it's pretty unlikely. 
in your mind, what are you looking for that will tell you that this football team has taken a step forward from what we saw last on the field against Kentucky last season? Um, you know, I, I think you got to look at both sides of the ball. On offense, it's, it's, it's the lack of mistakes. You know, the, the pre-snap penalties, uh, guys not knowing where to line up, guys uh, running the wrong routes, things like that. If they can get away from that stuff on offense, that's a that's a huge sign. I mean, everything else comes from that. Uh, and the offensive line play, I, I can't stress it enough. If they play well, uh, even halfway better than they did uh, as an offensive line last year, the year before, whatever it may be, you've got – that's what they need to do to make everyone else better. Um, and, and I think that will be a huge thing. On the defensive side, it's just effort. Um, they had a huge issue with that last year. Um, I think we all know that, but so much of this defense is predicated on guys putting forth the effort to do their job, especially up front. When you've got guys like Gigi Robinson and Caban and Peterson, they're going to be asked to do a lot of thankless stuff. Right. You know, just just slanting in the in the linemen to to open up you know an avenue for the linebackers to get through. That stuff you're not going to show up on the stat sheet. You're not nobody's going to notice you on the highlight. Uh, but that's what you have to do to be able to to. to to, to make the defense work. And Satterfield pointed this out yesterday. He talked about how important their defense is when it comes to being in your gap and making sure you do your job and you're in your gap. And that's what they did at App State. They didn't have the biggest guys. They, you know, they had a lot of speed, but they didn't get pushed around up front. They dictated to the offense what we're going to do, and then they, man, they, they, they did their job. It sounds so simple, uh, and, and that's the thing that's kind of crazy. It, it sounds simple. It is simple. Right. But it really takes science. It takes your guys being willing to do the things that aren't fun, that aren't going to make the highlights. And, you know, you got to, if, if you can find 11 plus guys that can do that, you'll be fine. But we will, we'll have to wait and see if that's the case. Cause that, that's not what happened last year. Guys are doing their own thing. Well, if they can have these guys buy in and buy into the scheme and the system, that's what we're going to, if we see that, you're going to see a much closer game. And that, that moral victory which we all hate, it's at least, hey, man, they, they, kept, they stayed in that game against a much better team. Right, take it with you. Take it with you the next 11 games, yeah. Um, and and sure. I don't know if I, if I wrote, or not I wrote, if I read it from one of your articles or I read it from somewhere else, but uh, didn't you say, like, uh, Notre Dame essentially is bringing back all of their linemen except for the center, right? So when you're talking about, you know, our, our nose guards like Gigi and those guys, I mean, when if there's any sort of advantage we would have on the defensive line, is that is that where you're seeing it? Is just right there in the middle of the interior? Yeah, it's a, it's going to be a big question mark for them. So their their starting center will be uh, Jared Stevenson, uh, true sophomore who came to Notre Dame as a left tackle, played left tackle last year, and then once the season was over. They knew they needed a, they needed a, a center, and they just moved him over to center. So he's been playing there since at least spring ball, I guess you can say. You know, when practices, you know, open up for those guys, but that's it. Um, and as far as I can tell, he didn't play center in high school. He played tackles there too. So this is new for him. And not only is it new, you're now you're facing this unorthodox defense where instead of having a nose guard that's just gonna you know try to beat you to death, you know, every play just punch you in the mouth. He's going to be running all over the place. They're going right. to be aligning in, in different sets, in different ways that just you can't really – you can't scout that type of stuff because you're you're asking guys on your scout team to do things that 
they don't, they, you know, they, what do you, what do you mean I'm supposed to run completely to the left tackle instead of just running forward? Like things like that aren't normal, but it's part of the the Brian Brown scheme. So you're going to ask the center who hasn't played there before to not only be able to do this in a game setting, but also face this defense that's very unorthodox, very different. Um, and that that's a possibility for for an advantage. Uh, it's not saying it will be, but that right. you don't know. I mean, you know, we've all seen new centers coming out in their first game. I mean, Louisville fans know it better than anybody. But it can really cause a lot of havoc, a lot of issues, communication issues, pre-snap penalties, guys not knowing where to be, where to direct traffic. I mean, those are the types of things that could come off as an advantage for them. Uh, and if it is, if, if we see early on that G. Robinson is being able to cause some havoc, that's a plus. I mean, these are all things that. You know, like I said, I think we all agree we're not looking at an upset most likely, but being able to build confidence against a top 10 team going into their next two games after that and being able to work on that, the things they're building on right. and maybe get some perfection going, that's a huge plus. Now you're going on the Florida State, Boston College, Wake Forest, but hey, I've got a confident team who's buying into everything we sold them now because, hey, we, we had a good game. And now we 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 played well in the next two games. That's a, that's what they're that's what they need more than anything. It's not really necessarily about winning the Notre Dame game. It's about not losing the season over. Right, because you're talking preservation of injuries. You're talking mindset, all that kind of stuff that could all really that. help you yeah. for the next for the rest of the season. All right, Keith, man, I appreciate it. It's been great talking with you. It's been what two two times in the last like three weeks. We got to we got to keep this up, yeah, man. man like a regular guest now. Yeah, yeah, you're almost like a part of the family, man. <laughs> you guys can find his work hey, on card on Go ahead, man. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, man, I always appreciate it. It's always fun talking to guys, you know. Yep. You know, always good talking to guys, know what they're talking about. Uh, well, we appreciate oh, that. I don't know if we'll go that far, but I appreciate. <laughs> you guys can catch his work on cardchronicle.com. Keith is dropping pieces it seems like daily at this point previewing previewing the season and, and the Notre Dame game. Keith, thanks so much for your time. We'll talk to you soon, man. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks, All right. Keith. Thanks, sir. All right, boys. Well, I got to tell you what. I, a couple of things that came out of those two interviews I didn't expect. One of them being, well, that's not. It's, I make it sound like it's a big surprise, but Louisville having to be successful down the field throwing for chunk plays makes me nervous. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting how Brian said that that was going to be something that they kind of have to, you know, take to another level if they're going to have any chance of, of beating Notre Dame. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I I agree. That's and honestly, that's like the last thing that you want to hear. I think with this with this team because I think that Louisville, if they're going to have success this year, it's going to be with sustaining drives. It's going to be with keeping the defense off the field as much as possible. It's going to be with shortening the length of the game. Um, knowing that you know, coming from a guy who really really knows what he's talking about, um, particularly regarding Notre Dame football, um, he's pretty convinced that Louisville is going to have to you know, do some, do, do some things that really shake things up and really, you know, yeah. get some players open downfield. That's a big concern of mine. Um, and, you know, obviously Louisville, Louisville has the receivers. I just don't know if they have the O-line protection. And I'm not, I'm not sure if they have the quarterback play yet to be able to make that happen. So you have an interesting stat. I, I really want to hear this because this is something that I've, not only have I talked about, but I've written about it couple of different times but you've got a stat for 2-2 at well Alex let's hear it yeah no so I was um, just popped open the Twitter online and uh, saw Keith mentioned he was watching a App State bowl game and 
oddly enough, um, so App State's QB turned slot wide receiver through two touchdowns in their bowl game. Uh, and that was after Satterfield had already left and took the Louisville job. However, he's he probably obviously that was their system. Yeah, yeah, that was their plays. plays. Like they had right. already probably practiced all those and right. implemented them. So it's it's interesting to see since Jacob has already talked about you know everyone talks about how great of an athlete Tutu is, but maybe some people forget how much of a quarterback he Dude, also th- is. Okay, so he threw over, I think it was like 5,600 yards or something like combined total yards on as a senior at quarterback. Yeah. Took the t- took a school that had, you know, players like Teddy Bridgewater and Amari Cooper and took them to their first state championship as a quarterback. The students have, right. And like he would be our fourth string, basically. Like yeah, like, we, I, you know, I couldn't believe last year that he didn't have any kind of opportunity to at least – get a snap or two. I mean, I, Kelly Dickey gave us a really, really good stat that I thought was the most interesting stat of last season. But And really, this this could be like an all-time stat. Tutu Atwell is the only player in Louisville football history to attempt to throw a pass and be sacked. And that's the only pass they ever attempted. So the only player who's been one one play at quarterback and is sacked on that one play. So anyways. Great ever. stat one. <laughs> I mean, how do you even... People with the time, man, I don't <laughs> I, I, that's incredible. Kudos, man. Kudos. All right, Presley. So one of the things that you have been diligently working on that I think is a really, really big undertaking and really interesting is you are tasked with ranking the top fifty players in Louisville football history. So what, hundred and five years, right? Isn't that what they're celebrating across right. college football? I mean I don't know. Well, hundred and fifty in college. Yeah, hundred and fifty, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I, got a, I got a met in the median there it's between NFL and been college. right at hundred years for global football, right? Am I wrong about that? I I have no idea. Pretty close. Yeah. Anyway, I would bet that you would probably know more than I would know that. No players from the from the fifties and earlier have made the list. Okay, so, so tell me spoiler. <laughs> what, what you're gonna say who the player what the top player was or what No, 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 no. That um, nobody made it from the yeah, from the fifties and earlier. Just because you know, what what is the most interesting thing that you learned? So you get for the listeners who don't know, we're twenty six years old, so we've lived a good chunk of life of being fans, and you mm-hmm. know, eighteen, nineteen, twenty years, whatever. But we had we didn't live in the eighties and the seventies. We don't. We've heard you know, we've heard about some of the players that played for Louisville, obviously like Johnny Unitas. Like we've heard these names, but mm-hmm. we didn't get to watch them. Tom Jackson, the same way. So you had to not only did you have to write this, you have to go back and you've got to spend tons of time studying and a learning lot. these players. So what is the most interesting thing that you learned? So I've done a lot of reading. Um, I've read a lot of newspaper articles from the 60s and 70s. Um, I've watched a lot of old tape from like the 80s and 90s. Um, there's a lot of work that's gone behind this because you can just kind of look at stats. Like for, for instance, a good, a good example would be Jair Alexander. If somebody looks at the list in 20 years, and they see J- Jair Alexander, they're probably going to be like, ah, he didn't have that great of a career at Louisville. The fact of the matter is, Jair Alexander might be the best cornerback to ever play at Louisville because nobody ever tried to challenge him. Nobody ever threw to the side of his, field, his side of the field. So there's there's that kind of stuff that you don't see. There's going to be stuff that slips through the cracks that I'm sure when, when the article uh, comes out that there, that a lot of people are not going to, you know, people who were alive and watched these players are going to disagree with the rankings. Right. They're going to um, be the get-off-my-lawn type of person, which right, I'm right. going to be the same way. When somebody and makes that, a Louisville basketball ranking in 25 years and, and T. Will's not somewhere towards the top, I'm like, what's wrong with you, yeah, kid? Well, you don't I know mean, nothing. The, you aren't alive for the good times. It's entirely subjective. Um, right. One cool – so I, I did a lot of studying on Johnny Unitas. Like, I think 
you know, there's some some are some more synopsis are longer than others. Um, Johnny Unitas is one of the longer ones because his career was so interesting. So um, a lot of people write Johnny Unitas off because his stats are just nowhere even close to you know like a Brian Brum or a Teddy Bridgewater or Lamar Jackson. Um, but um, people, a little known fact is that Louisville basically just cu- completely cut the athletic budget in 1952. So, <laughs> what? Can you imagine? So, okay. So, imagine in today's a, day, day and age, uh, Neely Bendapudi took over a couple of years ago, and she was just like, "We're not. We're putting way too much emphasis on athletics. Um, it all needs to be on academics. We're an academic institution, and this is disrespectful. We are cutting all scholarships to to all the major sports except for like 20 scholarships a year." So that's what Louisville did. Right. And so Louisville was playing with like 24, 25 scholarship guys. Um, Johnny Unitas was going to have his scholarship cut. So Johnny Unitas had to go out and take all these extra credit classes. Um, Johnny Unitas basically was a square dancing king. So he took all these square <laughs> dancing classes. This is unbelievable. One of the greatest, one of the greatest football players in Louisville history, in, in the history of football period. I was looking you know, through a bunch of lists. In NFL history, he's ranked anywhere from – Fourth to tenth, somewhere in there. That's all that's time. Well, yeah, man. all time ever. Yeah, he had a way better career so in the NFL. Yeah. Number one, Johnny Unitas is taking square dancing classes in order to maintain his scholarship at Louisville. He could have left, but all these schools. So basically, he tried out for um, for Penn State. Penn State said no. This guy's way too small. I don't know if you know this. He weighed like 140 pounds. I did not know that. College. Wow. So all kinds of crazy stuff about Johnny Unitas. So, anyways. He's by far Louisville's best player. Louisville goes into Tennessee um, in the middle of his, I believe, junior season, um, you know, Neyland Stadium. He played both ways. He was playing he was the kicker, the punter. He was playing every snap on offense and defense. He never came off. You know, you know, Michael Bush, there's all these stories about Michael Bush never came off the field when he played at Mail. Right. Same thing with Johnny Unitas um, to the point where Johnny Unitas had 86% of the of Louisville's all of Louisville's tackles against Tennessee. Good gosh. Um, in addition to that, so they lost the game like 56 to six, I think, like that, something like that. And uh, he was so sore that he he got injured like in the middle of the fourth quarter. The entire Tennessee crowd gave him a standing ovation as he went off the field, and then they had to carry him over their the managers, whoever whoever was with the team on it was like. 30 right. guys on a team. Yep. They carried him into the locker room and they cut off of it, his pads and his jersey because he couldn't even lift his arms up. That sounds like, what do they call it, folklore? Like stories right. that you hear? That yeah, right, right. <laughs> so this, this, this is a real story. This is, derived, this is derived from, so I got uh, Mike Rutherford's 100 Things Little Fans Should Know Before They Die. Shout out Mike Rutherford. Happy um, birthday, Mike Rutherford, Happy by the birthday, way. Mike yeah. Rutherford. Absolutely. Um, happy birthday. He's like, who are these three goobers? Yeah, yeah. Happy birthday. Like, I don't know. You. Got a baby <laughs> on the way. We know way too much about Mike Rutherford, apparently. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> no, I mean, on. if you're on Twitter, yeah, if you're on Twitter, if you're on Instagram, you see, right, it's not crazy, you've seen Rutherford. Um, additionally, um, I've read a bunch of old newspaper clippings. So again, most of this stuff is not like there's no pictures of Johnny Unitas out there, right? Uh, Except for like old, the few that we've used, right, right, like like from the '90s, like when he's right. an old man. Um, so yeah, a lot of really just. Odd folklore-like stories about Johnny Unitas. That's probably the most interesting stuff that I learned. Um, other stuff I was reading about. You know, I don't know if you guys remember Joshua Tench played for the basketball team. So that was an interesting, interesting thing to go over. 
Um, you know, the transition from football to basketball, you know, playing for Petrino and Bettino, that's two heads kind of colliding. Right. Both of them want Joshua Tench on their teams. Right. And they Can you imagine those an, conversations right, if they ever Lord. took place without, like, a mediator? And basically Joshua Tench was just, I mean, he was like the – like the Dylan Avar of that team. Like he wasn't, he, it was just a depth. Dude, right. I remember so, seeing him one day. I think I was probably like, gosh, I, 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 maybe I was in elementary school, maybe middle school. I can't really remember, but I went out with a friend to watch a live practice that they had. And he was one of the guys that ran onto the field first. And you got to think I'm like a kid. So like, I'm, I'm looking up to these dudes, like just amazed at him. But I just remember how thick and like muscular he was. He was huge. He was like, he was a freak. I mean, he looked like a robot. Like, I mean, he looked like something that was built like you know, like we're, we're gonna like yeah. built perfectly. I mean, it was wild to see it as a kid. I'm like, how is this guy not you know the number one overall pick? I didn't really understand. But then to see him play basketball was like, okay, maybe this dude is Superman, dude. Like he, for real, he had one of the best verticals on the basketball team at on the at the time that he was playing for Bettina. So it it was just some of the stories were crazy. I think one more I can share with you. This one was more of a personal story that I don't think many people know. But if you're listening to the podcast, you haven't gotten a chance to read the article yet. Um, another another cool one. Um, so I went to Mail High School. I don't know if you guys know about Mr. Wright. I feel like everybody's heard about Mr. Wright at Mail High School. It sounds familiar, but I so don't know. So he's he's the guy that they had the big uh, New York Times video of, of him. A former student, um, basically submitted a video to the New York Times, blew up like huge video a couple of years ago. Um, Mr. Wright was like he was he was like the craziest chemistry teacher. But anyways, he had uh, an extra credit assignment. Um, in which he assigned all of his students um, to just go and do something that that they're interested in doing for, for a career um, to see if you know because he was all about life is more than just chemistry life is more than school life is more than sports whatever Michael Bush was in his class in 2003 and so he, he told everybody this the first day of class Michael Bush came into his class and uh, basically said like keep in mind Mr. Wright was like a big he's he's a figurehead at male high school and he was on the sidelines with his kids at, at most games. Michael Bush was like a, a freak of nature. Like you're, we're talking about, you know, I said in the article, like Hunter S. Thompson graduated from Mail. Um, uh, Daryl Griffith graduated from Mail. Larry O'Bannon. Like there's all kinds of, of names that came through. Michael Bush came through and he was like the big thing. Like he was like the Lamar Jackson of, of high school football. Like he was a big deal at Mail. Um, he said he didn't want to play professional football. And so Mr. Wright made him go and follow somebody um, to basically for a day to figure out what it's like in the life of, of a football player because he said he didn't know if you wanted to do that. All right. That's so, that's pretty cool. Do you know who he shadowed or like who he went? I don't. So, and that's the only thing I couldn't remember. I'd like to get a hold of Mr. Wright at some point and kind of piece the story together because I think there's a little bit more to it. But that was what stuck out to me because, you know, you go into your first day of high school – or, you know, first day any year in high school, and it's, you know, not a super exciting time. Um, but it really, he caught my attention because he started out the class by saying, I'm going to do this class project. You guys should all do it. And if, if anybody's listening that went to mail, I don't know if, you're, if your wife, Jacob, had Mr. Wright, but he was, like, by far the hardest teacher. So any extra credit <laughs> was super helpful. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, that was, that was a pretty cool story. Like, maybe Michael Bush played in the NFL because Mr. Wright Mr. Wright influenced him by you know just encouraging him to go out and see what it was like and that's again, very a, true that man had a bunch of crazy stories so maybe that was just completely made up for to get us to do the project but yeah I thought it was pretty cool that's awesome man so we'd be doing ourselves a little bit of a disservice here if we didn't uh, we've previewed this game you know as much as we can for the last two months like we've known this game was coming and so we've talked about Louisville football nonstop for the last two months but I think that we got to make some predictions here 
And I think that since we're going to be doing this show weekly and we're going to be going through throughout the entirety of college football, that we should put something on it. Like whoever has the worst record has to do X. Yeah. Let's do we got to figure out what that X is because I don't know what it is. But we got to figure it out by next week. By the end of the season. Okay, so let, let's do let's do our predictions this week because nothing's going to come to fruition until next week anyways. By next week, we will decide what the terms are. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. We, we'll predict Notre Dame. We'll say we're going to figure it out. So by next week, we will come back and we will say the the loser of the season has to do X or Y or Are Z. Are we doing total just win-loss and that's it? Yeah, best record. Like okay, best record wins, worst yeah, record loses. This interests yeah. me because we do the the preseason stuff. As we know, you know, we talked about this. Our predictions last year were were hogwash. They were complete crap. We could all be so bad at this. Like we could all and, be three and, and nine. Or you so know what I was mean? about like, to say. So uh, and then again, we did it mid season and it was still pretty much crap. Yeah. So all right, let's let's uh, do it. Let's do it. Game. We'll by figure game. it out. We'll figure it out next week what the punishment is. But we'll go each week during the season and we'll pick a game. We can post it on Twitter. We'll make this a thing. Yeah, we can definitely. Let's do scores do too. Let's do scores and then overall plus minus tiebreaker. Because I, I have a feeling that we're going to be that's going to be very close. Just okay. because we all have very pretty similar opinions. So. All right. So why don't you go first? What it, What is your prediction? Score. Ooh. Let's Let's. We're only going to count score, like in terms of record. So win loss. But let's go score outcome, obviously, and then let's go. Um, I don't. We can't classify an offensive MVP, so I don't think that's the way to go. Let's mm. Let's uh, the high. Let, let's do this. Who is the um, Which leading team? leading rusher for Louisville? Say, leading leading rusher. rushers for Louisville. Yeah. Okay, I will go. Or let's do leading receiver. That one will be a little bit more of a mystery. So let's do leading there receiver. Okay. Each so week they can be different. I'm gonna go Notre Dame. Okay. I'm gonna say Notre Dame wins 42 to 22. Notre Dame 42 22. Okay. Um, and then who is then your who who do you think is gonna be the leading, leading receiver? Seth Dawkins. Okay. And we'll just put a number on it just for a tiebreaker. What do you think? Oh, how many wait. yards? How many yards? Yeah. Uh, 86. 86 yards. And Alex, All right. what do you got? So I'm going I'm going 34-24. Mm, the suspense. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Close competition. And yeah. uh, who we got? Leading receiver? How many yards? Uh, did you say 34-24? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Personally, you said 42-22? 42-22. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead now. Look, as long as I beat DJ on the spread at 27.5, <laughs> I'm golden because that's the only major bet right now. Leading receiver. Who we got? I'm going uh, – I'm actually going Seth Dawkins. You, All right. You yes, better not pick 86 yards then. No. What do you got? What do you got? What do you How got? many no. yards? I'm going uh, – I'm going 91. Right. 91 yards. This all right. man. Yeah. All right. All right. I am. That, I could totally see it because you have garbage time. I mean, the game's yeah. going to be a blowout or at least some, you know, not close enough to where Louisville the football. I'm going to go with, I'm going to look at my original score that I did a couple of months ago on my predictions, and I'm going to go higher than this. I think it's going to be 41 to 24. 41 Notre 24? Dame. Yeah, right. 41 24. Again, all very similar, so this would be interesting. Yeah, yeah, 41 to 24. And then leading receiver, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go Des Fitzpatrick. I think he's going to have a big play. So we'll go with Des Fitzpatrick, and I'm going to say he's going to have 78 yards. But I think that's because more of Juwan's going to throw the football around than him being, you know, way, right, so, way far above everybody else. So I think Louisville's going to lose by 20. Alex thinks they're going to lose by 10. Jacob thinks, seven, or excuse me. Yeah, Jacob thinks 17. 
Um, and then we got so Seth, Seth, and Dez. So that means we all think they're going to cover the spread, though, right? What's the spread? I 20. said 20. Is the spread 20 and a half right now? Is that right? Mm, Vegas actually currently has it um, at 19 and a half. Yeah, so, so uh, well, a couple of us would be close. Take it for what yeah. it will. Or for what it is. All right, so yeah. next week we've got to come back and we've got to figure it out. We should ask Twitter what they think. We might not get any responses, mm. but what should the loser have to do? I think that, he, just throwing it out there, I think the loser should have to eat like a really hot hot wing. A really hot hot wing or chip of some kind? Something really hot? One of those hot chips maybe? Sure, okay. Cool. I like that suggestion. What do, you, do you have any suggestions? Before I'm already you? regretting that. I'm down with the, uh, the hot wing. I mean, crap, you guys already go to Rooster's. I was about to say. Anyway, so I mean, so, I mean whatever the official bar. Do you guys actually what their hot, what's their hottest again? It's um, not as hot as yeah. the the doves the blazing sauce, which somebody told us that last time. But it's still, I bet I, there's got to be one of those like ghost pepper chips or like something crazy. Yeah, we, yeah we'll do that. I'm sure yeah, there is. For sure, that's got a good reaction. We can do that on the air. When somebody really be like, like about to die, and like they'll figure it out. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready for it. What else we got on the docket today? I think that's it, man. I think that's it, and we are I'm, we're like football is here. It's it. Like no more. Like what about what happens in two months? Like next time we get together, we're going to be talking about a result of a football game. It's freaking weird, man. It is, yeah. but it's it's finally it's a little nervy. Finally, time to, to. We've been talking about this team for so long. It's finally time to see where they're at, and uh, I'm I'm super excited. Thank you guys for tuning in. We will uh, we'll talk to you next week.